Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR Poker, where the big news in the month of January is the return of the $5 million Venom PKO. My name is Clayton Fletcher, and I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. Beautiful, bucolic, restful, serene Baltimore, Maryland, where I am spending a little quality time post-holidays with my family and friends here, and also bringing you the first episode of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast in 2024. Today, I'm going to review the hands from the Venetian tournament that we discussed on last week's episode with the help of GTO Wizard, and I'm also going to talk about a few hands that I saw on PokerGo that were played in the 2023 World Series of Poker main event. But before we get to any of that, let's talk about goals. Last week, we reviewed my goals for 2023, and this week, I want to start off the year by setting some goals for 24. Now, some of you, you might do New Year's resolutions, like kind of general things, like I'm going to try to get in shape, or I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to win a tournament, something like that. For me, it's really about something that is actionable and that I can be accountable. So I want to have numbers, marks that I can either hit or miss, and then review again when yet another year is in the rear view mirror. So let's talk about, I have six goals and they're all pretty big, and they're all for 24. So in 2023, I played in 56 live MTTs. Uh, I had set a goal last year to play 80. I realize now that with the nature of my career and just my schedule these days, I'm not going to be able to play 80. But I do think that 60 is doable. So it's a realistic goal that if I work hard, I can get there. That's the kind of volume I should be able to put in with my not exactly full-time poker playing schedule. So we're going for 60 MTTs live in 2024. Uh, Last year, I played 611 online MTTs, and the goal was only 300, so I completely shattered that goal. I ended up playing quite a bit on ACR Poker, a little bit on some other sites. And for this year, I've decided to set the goal at 400. That's right, 400 MTTs online. Now, several of you asked me how many tournaments per session, how many buy-ins, things like that. I want to clarify. When I say I played a tournament, that is a buy-in. So if I re-enter the same tournament, I actually count that as two different tournaments. And why not? You know, you're buying in again, you're paying rake again, you might as well count it as another tournament buy-in. So even if it's for the same tournament, I count them separately. And that is true both online and live. Now, when I play online, I typically will play between 15 and 20 tournaments per session. So when I sit down to play on ACR Poker, I expect to be there for anywhere from 8 to 16 hours. And so when one tournament ends, another one begins, maybe I bust out of this one, but I enter that one instead. So we're looking at how many actual tournament buy-ins I do 
maybe not necessarily how many distinct events I play. And this year, the goal is 400 tournament buy-ins. And this is a big one. I did not do this last year, but last year I got my feet wet. And this year I'm going to stream. That's right, guys. We're going to find some way, come hell or high water, to get Clayton Comic on Twitch.tv going. Okay, I have something like 500 subscribers to my Twitch feed, mostly people that were trying to get the password for the TPE free roll. And by the way, guys, we're doing the free roll again this Sunday. So make sure you join the Tournament Poker Edge Discord so that you can get the instructions on how to join us December 7th for the $1,000 TPE free roll courtesy of ACR Poker. So yeah, I'm going to be streaming, guys. We're going to make this happen. I will be a streamer in 2024. Very excited about that. Uh, last year, 23, I studied for 200 hours. And this includes reading books, using GTO Wizard, watching training videos, and things of that nature. So for this year, I'm going to scale that back just a little bit. I'm moving the goal down to 120 hours of training and studying because I simply have too much else on my plate, and I don't think I'll be able to dedicate quite as much time to study, but I will be very deliberate about making sure that I'm intentionally working during those study hours towards improving my game. It won't be a passive, like clicking around on other tabs while a video plays in the background. No, 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 no. We're going to study and study hard for 120 hours in 2024. Uh, two more goals that I want to share with all of you for this year. Uh, last year, I played 206 hours of live cash after having set a goal of 300. I'm going to split the difference, and this year, the goal is 250 hours of live cash. Now, most of the live play that I do is during the World Series of Poker, but I was looking at my travel schedule as a comedian for this year, and I'm going to be in a lot of cities where there might be a circuit event or maybe a WPT event that I can pop in and play while I'm already in town for that pesky little other career of mine. And my final goal this year, and this is probably the most important to me, if not to you, is uh, last year I put out 50 episodes of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, and this year I'm setting the goal of 50 once again. Last year, the goal was 48. There's just no reason why we can't hit 50 again this year. So that's what we're going for, 50 or bust in 24. So that's a, a brief look at my goals uh, for this year. And throughout the year, periodically, I might check in and just see how we're doing, maybe like quarterly or at least like in the halfway point of the year, like at the end of June, kind of take a look at this and see how it's going and whether we're going to hit these marks or not. All right, let's get into the review of last week's hands. I had talked about an $800 epic bounty tournament that I played last month at the Venetian Resort in fabulous Las Vegas. And this tournament was interesting. The total cost to enter was $800. And if you busted anyone before we reached the money, you collected a $200 bounty. However, once we were in the money, the bounty shot up to $1,000 each. So I think a pretty fun and clever redistribution of the prize pool wealth in this environment. So yeah, it was a really fun tournament. 
I did review two hands from this tournament on last week's episode. So if you haven't listened, I recommend you listen to that first. I've used GTO Wizard to review two of the hands from this tournament, the same two that we talked about last week. But this time I put them through the real test, which is what does the wizard think? Now, this GTO Wizard is an amazing program. It helps you learn what you're doing, where the leaks are in your game. You can study hands that you've already played by downloading them from your online poker site of choice or from your poker tracker or hold a manager, whatever you happen to use to keep track of your hands, and then plug them directly in to the software, and then you will start to see patterns where the wizard thinks you're doing this too often or that too often, and then you can actually go back and practice spots that you literally already played before. I love this feature. I've plugged in all the hands that were available to me on my database, and now I'm seeing the mistakes that I've been making for probably many, many years. GTO Wizard is making me a better poker player, and I think it can make you a better poker player as well. And best of all for me, it's super easy to use. If you're interested, click the link in the description of this podcast episode, and you can save 10% off your first purchase at GTO Wizard. In the first hand we reviewed, we're playing about 35, 40 big blinds effective, and it went raise from the low jack and then a call from the hijack, and I decided to three bet with the ace of diamonds, seven of diamonds, and I used a very small sizing of about half the pot to do so. I mentioned last week that one reason for doing this was because I already tried it once earlier in the tournament and it actually worked. Certain things that would never work online will sometimes work in live poker, so we can only find that out by actually trying them. But this time it didn't work, but that's neither here nor there. At the time when I made the play, I didn't know whether or not it was going to work. But let's hear what the solver has to say. It turns out there is very little three betting from the cutoff at this stack depth. You do see it a little bit with uh, hands as bad as ace nine suited, but really it's not that frequent. It's a pretty low frequency play. Typically, this type of three bet would be made with pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens, pocket jacks, and then start to mix a little bit around tens and nines, really preferring calls with the lower pairs, like eights down to deuces. So I found that interesting. You can also mix in ace, queen, and king, queen a little bit, but ace, seven of diamonds is not in the three betting range at this stack depth. So I learned something there, which is that I really need to review three betting ranges in the 30 to 40 big blind range. That's an area that I need to work on. And so I can't really be bluffing there. It kind of makes sense going back now and thinking about it uh, as did happen in this hand. You end up many times getting called by both opponents. Now you're in position. You've got a mediocre hand that makes a lot of mediocre hands on the flop with a low SPR. And that really sets up a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. I feel like maybe I made a mistake and got away with it last week, where I ended up just kind of calling this guy down with what turned out to be fourth pair. <laughs> and my hand was good. But, you know, that's kind of the don't try this at home sort of variety of poker. And maybe it's better off to just be a little bit more decisive and straightforward when we have 30 to 40 big blinds. Uh, in that same tournament, much later on, you guys may recall I got into a confrontation 
with another big stack. I had about 100 big blinds. He had something like 80 or 90 big blinds, and he raised under the gun, and I defended my big blind with the jack five of diamonds, which the solver loves, literally any two suited cards. When there's blinds and antes and everything else, even against an under-the-gun raise, if you're suited, you should not be folding to the min raise. So that's kind of a general thing that I had already memorized. So uh, Solver agrees with my pre-flop play. And now we're heads up on the flop against a player by the name of Ryan Honig. I'm probably mispronouncing it, just like I did last week. (laughs) Anyway, the flop was a miracle for me. Jack five, deuce, rainbow, even with a backdoor diamond draw on top of my two pair. And I check raised. And the solver likes my raise. It likes my sizing. It likes everything. And then on the turn, it was a brick. And I overbet shoved for something like two and a half times the pot, which, of course, the solver would never do and doesn't approve of at all. So I think that the GTO wizard would probably give me something like a C plus on this tournament (laughs) just based on whether or not my play was GTO wizard approved. Now, of course, guys, it's really useful to go into solver world and figure things out mathematically. But also remember, we're playing against real life opponents who are not robots, who are not computer simulations, who are not artificial intelligence. They are genuine intelligence, actual authentic intelligence. And so when you're playing against human beings, sometimes the psychology of the situation is more important than the ones and zeros. At least that's what I like to tell myself when I do something as crazy as I did in this hand and actually end up getting paid. All right, let's continue our annual tradition. Usually right after the holidays, I like to look back on the previous year's main event and not really talk about hands that I played, but I start reviewing the tournament. You guys know how much I love the main event. It stands alone in my mind as the most important, most incredible tournament in the world. And I look forward to it so much each and every year. And I'll just spend hours watching poker go and studying how people play and how scared many players are. You can kind of tell when it's somebody's first ever main event and when they're just really trying to go for that minimum cash and be able to tell their friends, like I finally played in the World Series of Poker and I finished in the money and which people are really actually going for the big prizes at the top and all the glory of winning the World Series of Poker main event bracelet. And of course, everyone in between. So the table that they showed on day 1B featured my friend Jackie Burkhart. And I'm sure I've spoken about Jackie many times before here on the podcast, but she is a just a joy to be around. She's a fun-loving person. She likes to sing. She likes to laugh. She loves to have fun while she's playing poker, but make no mistake, Jackie Burkhart knows how to play this game. She studies the game. She lives in the Pacific Northwest. I can't remember, Portland, Seattle, someplace like that, where she crushes her local card room on a routine and ongoing basis, guys. This is a very strong poker player. Don't let her colorful outfits or her fun-loving demeanor fool you. She takes her job very seriously. She just doesn't take herself all that seriously, and that's why we love Jackie Burkhart. 
So in the first hand I want to review, she is under the gun with the ace of spades, five of spades. And what we'll do for this hand is I won't reveal the other player's whole cards until we talk through the entire hand because I want to talk about all the decisions that Jackie has to make putting ourselves in Jackie's shoes. Now with ace five suited under the gun, when you are so deep, I mean, we're starting off this hand. We've got 110 big blinds. Our M is 44. Uh, you can obviously fold if you want to because you are under the gun and it's always harder to make money with any hand from out of position. But I happen to love ace five suited and I would play it from any position in any unopened pot, particularly with a stack as deep as the one we have here. So in Jackie's shoes, you can actually limp in and go for the back raise, hoping that somebody raises your limp. Um, you can treat ace-five suited as you might pocket aces. And one reason for that is that ace-five suited is never doing that badly against anything other than aces. And it blocks the hand that it fears the most. So against anything, you are at least 30% versus literally any holding heads up other than pocket aces. So for that reason, solvers and many of the high stakes regs like to play this hand aggressively. And so if you're the type of player that likes to limp in sometimes in early position with a big pair and then back raise, if anyone takes the bait, then it's nice to have this hand in there also as a bluff, at least some of the time to balance that. So it's not always aces and kings when you play that way. So to review, folding is okay, but I wouldn't. Uh, limping with the intention of representing pocket aces if anyone raises with a three bet uh, is also okay. And Jackie does the standard play here, which is just to raise it up to 1,000. So the blinds were 200, 400. She makes it 2.5x. Very, very standard and totally fine, especially when we factor in how good of a situation Jackie was in at this table. I mean, there were several amateur players, many of whom had openly been talking about how this was their first ever main event. There was also a player we'll get to by the name of Jimmy D'Ambrosio, also called Jimmy D, with a very thick uh, Midwestern, I believe Chicago accent. Fun-loving guy, likes to drink at the table, probably best known for his recent antics on the Poker Go hit show, No Gamble, No Future. All right, so we're raising to 1K. Very, very uncontroversial. Under the gun with the ace of spades, five of spades. Now, on our immediate left in second position, or as you may call it, UTG plus one, uh, a player from Canada decides to make the call and he's got about 58,000 in his stack. The next player folds, and the player after that folds. And now in the cutoff, we get a call from another Canadian guy. This one's a French-Canadian guy by the name of Coulomb. And he's got about 90K in his stack. And then it folds to the big blind, who is an American player by the name of Hovenden, with about 40,000 in his stack. And he calls from the big blind. So four to the flop. Wow. And there's 4,600 in the middle. And guys, you will see this pretty often. The main event is just unlike any other $10,000 tournament in the world. You'll get 
four, five, six to the flop on a fairly regular basis in a lot of tables on day one of the main event. There's just that kind of action with this many non-professionals in the field. So with 4,600 in the middle, the flop comes eight of hearts, tray of spades, deuce of spades, hero with the ace of spades, five of spades. So Jackie Burkhart has now flopped a gut shot straight flush draw. I mean, that is a great flop. And the big blind checks, and now the action is on Jackie, who was, remember, under the gun. I can see a case for checking here. I mean, we don't really have anything yet. Do we really want to bluff against three loose opponents? I mean, at a really good table, is it not better to just make sure that we have something before we start betting and all that jazz? I understand that argument, but look, I think we need to put a bet in here. We've almost certainly got more than our fair share of pot equity at this point, meaning that with four opponents, we would only need about 25% winning chances. And I think our chances are well above that, obviously with a, a draw to the nuts and then also a straight draw. Yeah, this is a beautiful spot for Jackie. I think she needs to put out a little bet. I'd make it like 1,800, maybe 2,000 into the 4,600 pot and see if anybody wants to tag along. Maybe we can start building a pot against a lesser flush draw or somebody with a, a strong hand, and then we can get there and get lucky and make a straight. A lot of good things can happen, and it just feels like we have so much equity in this pot. There's nothing wrong with pushing that equity and trying to build a pot, even though at the moment we only have ace high. Uh, Jackie decides to just check, and while I get it, I'm not crazy about the play. So the other players also check. Now, we don't know, guys, whether Jackie maybe had a read on somebody and thought that he was very likely to bet this flop, and so she was going to go for a check raise, try to get a whole bunch of chips in that way. That's totally fine if that's what she was going for. I just suspect that she decided to just play a smaller pot against lesser opponents, and that was probably more her rationale in not firing on this board. So they all check it through, and now we're going to see a free turn card. So with 4,600 in the middle, the turn comes the seven of spades. So our board is now eight of hearts, tray of spades, deuce of spades, seven of spades, and my friend Jackie now has the nuts with the ace five of spades. And now to her delight, the big blind, Mr. Hovenden, who is an American player, with only 40,000-ish to start the hand, puts in 1,800 into the 4,600 pot. So what should we do now in Jackie's shoes? Is it best to raise it up and try to get all in versus a lesser flush? I mean, maybe. Is it better to just call and see if somebody behind us might want to go crazy and put in a raise or just you know get more opponents to play along with us here? I don't know. I mean, this one's a lot closer, I think, than the flop decision. I think on balance, calling is best, but certainly raising has its merits. I mean, we're trying to get build a big pot against an opponent who either has a flush like we do, just not as strong, or maybe has a similar strong hand, like maybe a set or something that's willing to put a whole bunch of chips in, even in the face of tremendous strength on our part. So if that's the case, 
Jackie will certainly regret slow playing, but that's what she did. She just called the 1800 and is really hoping, whenever you call in this spot, you're hoping somebody on your left goes crazy. You know, you want to hear the guy to your left say 9,000. That would be amazing right now. Unfortunately for Jackie, they both fold, and she's now heads up in position versus the big blind. And we're going to see a river with 8,200 in the middle. The river comes the four of diamonds for a final board of eight, tray, deuce, seven, four, hero holding the ace five of spades. So it's like you already had the flush and now you made the straight two just for good measure. Anyway, uh, Hovenden bets again. So in Jackie's shoes, let's figure this out. He's putting out 3,400 into the 8,200 pot and you're sitting there with the nuts. Man, how are you not salivating all over the table at that point? That feels so good when you're not even betting. Jackie hasn't really been aggressive in this hand at all since pre-flop, which is probably what convinced Hovenden to fire in the first place. But now in Jackie's shoes, you kind of have to measure it out. Like, what's making him bet again? Like, I already called him on the turn. Now he's betting here again on the river. I would be very optimistic in Jackie's shoes. I would say, you know what? This guy probably has a flush. He's betting again. It's a pretty chunky bet, too. Not half the pot, but, you know, more than a third. Anyway, and if he's bluffing, he's not going to call any raise. So why don't we be optimistic and try to get him to put in a lot of chips with a flush? I would make it like 20000 You don't really want to put the guy all in because you don't want to give him a chance to make some kind of hero fold, as we've seen some ridiculous hero folds over the years on day one of the main event. But yeah, putting in a little more than half his stack, I think is totally fine. And very few players will be able to fold a flush in his shoes. Also, remember... Jackie did not continuation bet on the flop, which is probably contributing to Hovenden's opinion that she didn't flop a flush draw because most of us, myself included, would have bet, right? Put out a C bet with the nut flush draw on this board, even with three opponents. So that could be factoring into his decision. So I would just be optimistic and say, look, maybe this guy has a flush. Maybe I can get a whole bunch of chips right now. I would make it about 20000 and hope to hear him say all in, but be very happy if he just said call. Jackie instead puts in 10000 which I think looks incredibly strong. Like, what is she ever bluffing with there? I mean, would she make that play with anything less than a flush? Maybe 6-5, but that's about it. I mean, maybe she can get called here by a straight, but unfortunately for Jackie, her opponent folds, and now I can reveal what everyone had. So this will tell you all you need to know about the WSOP main event, guys. The player in second position, his name is Vaders. He's Canadian. He had 10 of clubs, 9 of clubs. Now, guys, if you are sitting there next to an under-the-gun razor who happens to be a very strong professional player of the ilk of Jackie Burkhart, and you have 10-9 suited in second position, throw that garbage hand away. We're not going to play that hand, okay? That's a fold. So he called, and then in the cutoff, Coulomb made the call with king-queen offsuit, which is, I think, totally fine. And now our opponent that we ended up heads up against, Hovenden, actually had the eight of diamonds, six of clubs. So that means he flopped a top pair of eights with a six kicker and just really felt confident about it on both 4th Street and the river, which I think he could have lost a lot Less than he did as this board just got scarier and scarier. And my man from Canada just kept betting and betting anyway. So yeah, this is the main event, guys. And welcome to it. I can't wait. 
until July. All right, let's do one more hand from last year's main event. Same table. Uh, in this hand, the action folds to the cutoff. Same blinds and everything. There's a young man named Cohen, and he's got a Mexican flag next to his name on my Poker Go screen. So I'm surprised that there's anyone named Cohen in Mexico. A young man, seems very uh, polite, well-dressed, well-kempt, nice hair and everything. Uh, and he told the whole table that this is his first main event and that he was even talking about some satellites he had played. Now, one thing that a lot of us experienced players will do is try to surmise who is a satellite winner and who plays 10Ks all the time, who's wealthy and who is poor. These things will factor into our overall decision-making and our live reads. So you don't want to be giving away that kind of information at the table unless you really feel like you can play against your type, which it doesn't seem to me as though Mr. Cohen is doing that. I mean, he's playing in a style that I would assume a first-timer would. Uh, he's got 60K in his stack right around the starting stack. He's got the nine of diamonds, eight of diamonds in the cutoff. And he makes it 1,000. Totally fine with me. I hope it's fine with you too. Totally cool. Now let's fold to the real star of the show, the big blind Jimmy D. Okay. Jimmy D'Ambrosio, a very fun-loving guy, strikes me as like maybe a bar owner, something like that. Just like a party animal type of guy. You know, he's ordered rounds of shots for the table. And as this hand is getting dealt, the shots are delivered, and now he's passing them out. He's actually assisting the cocktail service department in distributing the shots. I believe he called it a spark plug. I don't know what's in it, but it sounds pretty crazy. And it was the 4th of July, by the way. Day 1B of last year's main event fell on the 4th of July. And Jimmy D's sitting there like, cheers, everybody, while three-betting... <laughs> the raise to 1,000, he makes it 4,800 off of a stack of only 35K. So it feels very um, nonchalant. I'm Jimmy D. I've got a shot in one hand, a stack of chips in the other, and I'm just not a care in the world. I make it 4,800. Now the action is back on Mr. Cohen, who decides to flat call. So Jimmy D's put in about 13% of his starting stack with... God knows what, and now I'm sitting here in position with 9-8 of diamonds. Godspeed. Okay, there is now 10,200 in the middle, and I haven't told you guys yet what Jimmy D is three-betting with. I just want to tell you what that the flop comes, Jack, 7, Deuce, Rainbow with one diamond. So we have flopped a flush draw and a backdoor diamond draw with our 9-8 of diamonds, and Jimmy D has an SPR of around three and bets this flop. C bets 5K into the 10,200 pot. What should we do in Cohen's shoes? Well, here's where I've gotten into trouble myself in the past. I see a guy, he's drinking, he's a party animal, and I always assume he has nothing, right? So in that case, you might want to raise this bet or just call it and see if Jimmy bets again on the turn, stuff like that. He is a fun-loving guy. He can show up with any two cards at any time, but these bets are getting big. Remember, guys, the blinds are only 200, 400, and our opponent started the hand with only 35,000. He's already put 10,000 in there. I mean, is he really just fooling around, having fun on television, just trying to, like, you know, play it up for the cameras on Poker Go? 
or does he actually have something? Bottom line is I just have a gut shot and I can't really get paid because Jimmy doesn't have enough chips to pay me. I think I would fold here. I may have even folded pre-flop, which may surprise some of you because I think <laughs> my reputation is that I give a lot of action and maybe more action than I should with hands than I shouldn't. But in this spot, this is getting too murky for me. Now, if there were two diamonds on the flop instead of one, open-ended instead of a gut shot, then yeah, we can actually try to get all in and see if Jimmy's serious or not. But yeah, I think in this situation, this isn't enough hand for me to continue. I'm not calling another 5,000. With nine high, I'm out of here. Deal me another two cards and let's play another hand. Instead, Mr. Cohen makes the call and now we've got a big pot developing. There's 20,200 in the middle and the turn comes the tray of hearts. So our board is now jack of diamonds, seven of spades, deuce of hearts, tray of hearts, hero with the nine of diamonds, eight of diamonds for still just a gut shot. And Jimmy D bets 500. You heard me right. 500 into the 20,200 pot. You know, just the typical 140th of the pot turn bet. You see it every day, right? <laughs> Cohen decides to just call. I want to know what you guys would make of this tiny, tiny bet. I mean, he's literally betting a 40th of the pot. Now, Jimmy D's a lot of things, but I really doubt that he's balanced. It's unlikely to me that this player is going to do this with the nuts as well as with nothing. It's just, what is it this time? And I think that Cohen really just has to treat this 500 as a check. I mean, it's such a tiny bet. It's essentially a check. It could be a, a very small blocking bet. We have seen Jimmy do this once or twice at the table. Unfortunately for the players, they never really got to see what he showed down when he's done this in the last half hour or so. So what the heck does he have, right? I don't know, but Cohen was happy to call the 500 and try to hit a miracle on the river. And with 21,200 in the middle, the river comes the jack of clubs pairing the board and not completing anything. So our final board is jack seven, deuce, tray, jack. And now Jimmy, who only has 24,000 or so in his stack at this point, puts in 7,800 into the 21,200 pot. So what should you do with nine high as Cohen? Obviously, you can't call. It's either fold or raise. And Cohen decides to raise. He moves all in. Remember, Mr. Cohen has Jimmy well covered by about 100%. So it's really putting Jimmy all in. And Jimmy, of course, has to fold the king of diamonds, six of hearts. That's right. He had no pair at any point, no draw at any point either. He's just a fun-loving guy having some fun in a $10,000 tournament with a $12 million first place prize. No big deal. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode, you guys. I really like this play by Cohen, by the way. Let me know what you guys think. Hit me up on Twitter or in the Discord. Links to everything in the description of this podcast, including ACR Poker, where you can get a 100% first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000 just by clicking the link in the description and using the promo code TPE for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge. And with special thanks, as always, to our very generous
sponsor, ACR Poker. I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun, fun.